Tonight on Global News, targeted double homicide. Someone attended that residence with the intention of committing a murder. A father and his teenage son killed in Richmond. What investigators need from the public. Plus, different rallies with the same message. A war should not be fought like this. There's no reason. So Jewish people are calling for a permanent ceasefire. The call for peace in Gaza. And why protesters are targeting a Vancouver bookstore. Also ahead, flood watch on the south coast. The region braces for an atmospheric river while tides are already high. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. Police say a father and his teenage son were the victims of a double homicide this week in Richmond. Today, homicide investigators are trying to find a killer and determine a motive. Our Paul Johnson continues to cover this story. Paul, what's the latest? Well, Travis, we learned a lot more today about these killings. First, as you said, the victims were father and son. Father was 46 years old, the son only 13 years old. They were part of a family of five that had lived in this Richmond house for a long time, along with their mother and two brothers. Second, that police believe they were killed by someone who came to the home between 8 and 10.30 Thursday night. Here's IHIT spokesman Timothy Parati. We believe this to be targeted, and what I mean by that is we believe that someone attended that residence with the intention of committing a murder. Beyond that, um, until we determine a motive, until we determine a suspect, uh, I can't comment on exactly what the intent was. So there are two recreational spaces near the murder scene, London Sports Field and Rocky View Playground. IHIT wants to hear from anyone who may have been in the vicinity and seen anything suspicious in those places. Also, for anyone who was driving or parked in this area of South Richmond, and we're basically talking about near the corner of Williams and Number 2 Road, if you had a dash cam in your car and it was rolling, IHIT would like to see that footage. As for the crime scene, as of tonight, it's still an active crime scene. It's still taped off, and we've been able to see investigators working inside and on the grounds of the property. That's the latest from here in Richmond. Back to you, Travis. Paul Johnson reporting live for us tonight in Richmond. Paul, thank you. West Shore RCMP say they're investigating a possible home invasion near Victoria. Officers were called to a home on Middle Road in View Royal just before 3 this morning. They say a man entered the home through the front door and possibly shot a gun while inside before running away. One person inside the house has minor injuries. Police are looking into whether this incident is related to a similar one that happened late Friday afternoon at a home about 10 kilometers away in Langford. For the fourth time this week, a doctor shortage is forcing the closure of the South Okanagan General Hospital in Oliver. Interior Health says the ER will be closed tomorrow from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's after the ER only just reopened after a 24-hour closure. It also follows similar closures on Tuesday and Wednesday. Residents who need emergency care will have to travel about half an hour to Penticton or call 911. A community in Whistler is rallying around a family who suddenly lost three of its family members in a crash last weekend. A father, his two-year-old daughter, and his brother-in-law were killed on the Sea to Sky Highway. As Alyssa Thibault reports, those who know them say the level of tragedy is unthinkable. 
a crash site marked with a teddy bear and basketball jerseys. Along Highway 99 south of Whistler early Sunday morning, a car carrying four people hit a tree. Iris Pagua Portillo, the sole survivor, her husband, brother and two-year-old daughter were killed. We know the family really well. They've been with us for a few years. On Saturday, the Whistler community came together for a fundraiser at Nestor's Market, where members of both families have worked for years. Those who knew them finding somewhere to grieve. Come into my office, give me a hug and a cry, just because they heard. <laughs> for the afternoon, tears were replaced by the joyous laugh of Santa and music from the band. The pictures of those now gone and their names on the donation bins, a reminder of what happened. I just want to support the family through this unbelievable tragedy. It's, it's such a tragedy. I'm just happy to be able to donate in some small way for their loss. Between cash donations and online contributions through GoFundMe, the community is getting close to reaching its goal of raising $100,000. They've got a long way to go, though and uh, they're going to need all the support, not just the next few weeks. The family was returning from a church gathering the night of the crash. 20 minutes from home, the car hit black ice and spun out of control. The mother-in-law of the sole survivor says Iris is recovering from her injuries. She has a broken jaw, her face is swollen, and she has a lot of pain, but it's more hard. The family is now planning three funerals just before Christmas. Life is really special and fragile. And um, hug your kids when you go home tonight. Alyssa Tebow, Global News. ICBC and police forces across the region have launched the counterattack campaign, reminding drivers to plan a safe trip home this holiday season. In BC, impaired driving is one of the top three contributing factors in fatal car crashes. 61 people die every year because of drunk driving, and more than half of the incidents happen on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights. According to ICBC, young drivers account for a large percentage of impaired driving crashes. Starting tonight, Police will be setting up operations on highways and roads all across the province. Prevention is such a key, right, for us to be able to make sure the message is out there. If you can imagine, 61 people die from impaired driving each and every year on our roads. That's an incredible amount. And if another 53% it happens on Friday, Saturday and Sunday nights. So those are the nights that we're going to be looking for people in our counterattack program. And the balance of the program will be fairly covert. You won't know where, but you can expect us out there. Police say the number of impaired fatalities has not decreased over the years. One person is in hospital after a train collided with a vacuum truck early this morning in the township of Langley. Just after 3 a.m., first responders attended the scene at Glover Road and 216th Street. The force of the collision sent the truck spinning across the roadway. The injured person remains in hospital in stable condition. The stretch of road was closed for hours but has since reopened. Dozens of Indigenous nations are coming together this weekend for a Christmas market like no other in North Vancouver. As Safia Pirani reports, artists from across the province are there. I um, actually have a line of clothing and I do carvings that um, I bring with me. And um, I do all different designs. I do traditional designs like as you can see behind me. Are you guys robbers? 
For 21 years, Heisla artist Brad Starr has been traveling from Kitimat to be a part of the Tsleil-Waututh Nation's Christmas Craft Fair. You know, it's incredible. I go home happy and um, this is full because I'm doing what I, I love. He says it's not just about selling his work, but it's an opportunity to share Indigenous art and storytelling with others. It's um, getting people to understand about the struggles of where we came from. And that's honoring each other and remembering where we came from. The only way we're going to survive is we learn how to work together in peace and harmony. The fair has grown significantly since it began, and this year is the biggest turnout yet, with around 80 diverse vendors. That's who we are. We invite and welcome anybody into our community to share their gifts. That's what it is. We're just sharing each other's gifts at these tables. Original crafts, handmade crafts are, I have like a walk-ins, blankets, drums, food, jewelry anything you can probably find here. That also includes crochet by Lisa George, who's attended the fair all her life with her mother and now has her own booth. I really enjoy it, especially especially watching like the little kids come and watching their face light up when they see um, different creations that I've made. Funds raised from the weekend's long event support Indigenous traditions. The proceeds from the tables that the vendors uh, purchase is all goes towards our baby celebration where we welcome all the new babies into the community every year. And help celebrate the spirit of togetherness. One of the good things about this, um, like everyone around here, we've become like a family. We know each other, we see each other once a year. It's a great way to end the year. Safia Parani, Global News. <laughs> Still ahead on the news hour, continued calls for a ceasefire. Two separate rallies being held in Vancouver and why protesters are calling out the owners of Indigo Bookstore, Bookstores. And the nurses' union sounding the alarm about a rise in violence in BC hospitals. Calls for peace in the Middle East are growing here in Metro Vancouver. Two groups held rallies this afternoon in downtown Vancouver as fighting resumed between Israel and Hamas. Julia Foy begins our coverage. A crowd of protesters from Independent Jewish Voices Canada gathered outside the Indigo Bookstore on Robson Street in Vancouver to raise a concern. We think that people who are coming here Christmas shopping might be unaware that their purchases could be indirectly funding and supporting the Israeli military. The group is upset that the Canadian owners of Indigo allegedly provide funding to lone soldiers, people who come from outside Israel to fight with the military in the ongoing conflict in Gaza and the West Bank. On November 10th, a similar protest in Toronto resulted in several arrests after an Indigo store was sprayed with paint and plastered with posters. It is not anti-Semitic, it is not a hate crime, it is standing up in the name of justice for our siblings in Palestine. Palestine still Back in Vancouver, police were on hand to allow customers to enter and leave the store. And despite some angry taunting, organizers say they want to work towards peace in Palestine. We do not see Jewish safety as being irreconcilable with Palestinian liberation. And so it's really important as Jewish people to come out and to say that actually we don't agree with this and this isn't in our name. A 
few hours later, another protest got underway outside the art gallery. For the 13th time since October 7th, members of a group called Mobilization Against War and Occupation came to pray for peace. Palestine historically and ha Palestine in the future is a Palestine that includes all people, Jewish, Muslim, uh, Christian, Palestinians, um, and people of all faiths. This is the first time I'm actually seeing it for what it really is. One young volunteer who has family in the West Bank says she feels guilty that she can live in peace and they can't. My biggest dream is to have this occupation of 75 years to be put to an end and to all of us live freely and live peacefully together and coexist. Honestly, that is, that is the only thing we can hope for at this point. Julia Foy, Global News. We reached out to Indigo for a comment for this story, but have not heard back from the company. For a second straight day, Israel ramped up its assault on Gaza, hitting hundreds of Hamas targets. As Danielle Hamamjan reports, Gazans are on the move, but as the fighting rages around them, there's nowhere to run. And a warning, some of the images in this next story could be disturbing. The pounding of Gaza has been relentless. Israel says it struck 400 targets across the enclave since the ceasefire ended early Friday morning. Its military offensive is shifting to the southern half of the Strip, where most of Gaza's two million people are crammed and hoping that death doesn't come before the next potential ceasefire. He can't understand, he can't imagine the, 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 the kids and the children and the women. What? What's the problem with them? <coughs> it's unfair life, unfair world. The health ministry run by Hamas says 70% of the 15,000 dead are women and children. Hamas's numbers have been considered generally reliable in previous conflicts. Too many innocent Palestinians have been killed. Frankly, the scale of civilian suffering and the images and videos coming from Gaza are devastating. Washington also made it clear it will not allow the forced relocation of Palestinians from Gaza or the redrawing of Gaza's border. In the first shelling, they told us to evacuate to the south because it would be safer, said this man. Now they tell us to go further south and into the Sinai. This is nonsense. We will go nowhere. We will remain here. The Israeli military put out a map carving up Gaza into hundreds of small areas ahead of evacuation warnings. I reject the comment that there aren't safer places in the Gaza Strip. Precisely because we have specifically designated these places, the maps are there, people can see where they are and where people can go to. The Israeli military claims Hamas has launched more than 250 rockets at Israel since the ceasefire ended. Meanwhile, 108 trucks crossed into Gaza, bringing in desperately needed food, water and medical supplies. They came from Egypt, which for now is still home to those photographed in one of the most indelible images of the war. There is an update on those premature babies who became a symbol of the suffering at Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza City. Here they are now, healthier, heavier, 
The majority of the 16 babies who were transferred to Egypt last month have now recovered. Israel believes Hamas leaders have now fled to the south and are hiding among civilians. Among their most wanted men, Yahya Sinwar, the political leader of Hamas who is thought to have planned the October 7th attack. Danielle Hamamjan, Global News, Jerusalem. It's been 57 days. Is she alive? Is she dead? Is she in a dark cave uh, tunnel underneath the ground? For weeks, Iris Weinstein Hagi has wondered and worried about her mother, Judy, a Canadian-Israeli, last seen here leaving Kibbutz near Oz the morning of October 7th with husband Gad. She's now more concerned than ever with this new information. I got a recording of uh, Mada um, speaking to my mom. Mada is an equivalent of uh, like an Israeli Red Cross. Speaking in Hebrew and in pain, Weinstein had called for help. My mom was very, very graphic about what happened to my dad. Um, he was basically murdered. And my mom was shot in her arm, shot in her face. Moments earlier, the couple managed to record this cell phone video. As rockets streaked through the sky and gunfire erupted. And Iris received a WhatsApp message. We're outside, face down in the field. Since then, no word, though the family believes Judy may have been taken captive. They're urging the Canadian government to help rescue the retired English teacher turned mindfulness instructor who grew up in Toronto and may be severely wounded. I really need them to help their own Canadian, the only Canadian citizen that's hostage in Gaza. In a statement, Global Affairs Canada said it's aware of reports a Canadian citizen is missing in Israel and officials are in contact with the family and local authorities. What do you think is helping her get through this? I'm hoping she's using every bit of mindfulness she uses every day and she knows that we are thinking about her, that we're doing everything to get her out of there, just, you know, Call her name, Judy Weinstein. We need you back. We need you back, Mom. We miss you so much. Karen Lieberman, Global News, Toronto. Still to come, the gender gap in brain health research. The push for a stronger focus on women to better understand mental health conditions. And the coastal gas link pipeline is mechanically complete ahead of schedule, while the builder says there's still much more work to be done. The president of the BC Nurses Union says there's been a rise in violence in hospitals over the past three years. Adrian Gears' comments come after a police-involved shooting at Abbotsford Regional Hospital. Police say they were called to reports of a man with a weapon at the hospital who was threatening to hurt medical staff around 3.45 on Thursday afternoon. A confrontation with the suspect outside the hospital ended with the suspect being killed. Gear says in general, violence has increased since the pandemic. I believe tied to the critical nursing shortage because patients, particularly in emergency room environments where they're coming in, you know, in pain and distress, uh, may, may be supported by family, maybe not. And the the extent the extended waits for for patients to be assessed and to receive 
care. Uh, not that it's an excuse to take it out on a nurse, but we we certainly are seeing an increased incidence of uh, violence, uh, aggression and violence perpetrated against uh, nurses and other healthcare workers. Gear says more relational security officers have been hired for hospitals around BC and time will tell if they make a difference. Data shows women suffer from depression, strokes and dementia twice as much as men. But despite that, experts say there is a notable gender representation gap in research. As health reporter Catherine Ward explains, advocates want more focus on women in order to better understand the brain. It was like watching someone was tearing mom apart bit by bit, every day, every interaction. Sarah Widmeyer's mother, Elaine, received an Alzheimer's diagnosis at the age of 78. She died last year. Sarah says the disease was unforgiving and forever changed their world. She started to isolate herself and at a very time where probably she needed more and more social interaction. I think one of the biggest challenges as a caregiver is that you you feel isolated and alone. Experts say almost 70% of those living with Alzheimer's are women, but past research and funding has not reflected that. There was always a difficulty in recruiting a female in clinical trials. And so you had a huge misrepresentation and with a lot of men and very few women. Neuroscientist Viviane Poupon says some progress has been made in recent years, but the gap needs to be addressed. There's regulation for clinical trials now to really try to have as many men and women enrolled in the clinical trials. Women's Brain Health Initiative founder Lynn Poslin says it's critical to build on this momentum. We're just at the start the start of this. It's, it's a long journey and it does take um, a tremendous amount of support in order to make sure that that the researchers are just topping up their research by considering sex and gender, but are building it in from the grassroots of their research. Research that one day might help people just like Sarah, now left holding on to memories of her mother, whom she dearly loved. Oh, she's all around us. She's in Christmas. She's in Halloween. She's in the kitchen. She's here now. She's with us always. Catherine Ward. Global News. Still ahead, you might have noticed water levels are rising. We'll tell you why high tides could get even worse in the coming days. Stay with us. Want to help us spread some holiday cheer? Jason, me and the entire Global News morning team will be live at the Pan Pacific Christmas Wish Breakfast on December 13th. Come donate a new unwrapped toy and help brighten the holidays for a family in need. Police and firefighters will be on hand to add your gift to a mountain of toys. And you'll get to enjoy a free breakfast. For more details, you can go to globalnews.ca slash BC. This broadcast is presented by Fortis BC. Energy for a better BC. BC's River Forecast Centre has issued a streamflow advisory for the south coast ahead of a series of storms expected to move into the region for the next several days. The seawall near Kitsilano Pool closed this morning due to flooding. Waves crashing onto the beach are strong. A special weather alert in effect for Metro Vancouver, the southern Gulf Islands and the Saanich Peninsula with Environment Canada warning of possible coastal flooding for parts of BC this weekend. A low pressure system mixed with a high tide could cause elevated water levels. The warning predicted to last into Tuesday. 
There's also an atmospheric river expected to hit starting Monday. Here's Steph Florian with the forecast. Good evening. Yes, very important to note high tide and the timing for the next several days as we have two more storms rolling in, one tonight and another big one on Monday. So right around those high tides, that's when we're worried about localized flooding and we do have these weather statements in place right now for Metro Vancouver, Greater Victoria, as well as Sandwich Peninsula, as well as the Gulf Islands, Southern Gulf Islands. So that's where we could be seeing some localized flooding right around those high tides. Through the overnight tonight, we are looking at an overnight low of four degrees and that rain is moving in on the south coast. So a wet one tonight. We'll see the snow ease off a little bit through the overnight and then by tomorrow morning we're back up to a little bit of a snow event as the system makes its way towards those mountain passes. So upper level low hard rain here for the north coast. Very gusty conditions as well and we'll continue to see that rain making snow in those higher elevations as we get into Monday. Temperatures are on the rise. We're into the double digits here. Much of the southern interior going to be seeing rain as well so it's more of a rain event with this atmospheric river landing on us on Monday into Tuesday is the timing of that. How much rain exactly can we expect tonight in through your day tomorrow? We're looking at about 10 millimeters potentially uh, out towards the valley possibly into the mid-teens, so quite a bit of rainfall, but nothing compared to what's to come with this atmospheric river, and that's Monday into your day Tuesday. So a lot of rain into the hundreds as far as millimeters, so a very wet one, and with that concern of the high tides, that's what we're looking at with those weather statements. So wet and windy on the north coast for your day tomorrow. We're going to be seeing uh, some light snow in the morning hours for the Caribou Central Interior area, otherwise minus 21, mostly cloudy skies, Kamloops, for. We're looking at a few centimeters of snowfall for much of the Columbia Kootenai region. And then as we get into Monday, that'll be more of a rain event. It's a rain event for Vancouver Island tomorrow. Temperatures single digits all the way to 11 degrees, up to 10 degrees in Abbotsford tomorrow. Six for Maple Ridge, nine for the North Shore. So uh, still quite cool as we get into Monday and Tuesday. We're at 12 degrees, normally seven. So get your rain gear ready. We are expecting some heavy rain in the next few days. Thanks, Steph. The city of Langford is upset after being snubbed for a chance at hosting a CFL game in 2024. In a post on the city's Facebook page, they say they've reached out to the president of the BC Lions to understand the decision to award a game to Victoria next season. The Lions will host the Ottawa Red Blacks next August at Royal Athletic Park as part of the CFL's Touchdown Pacific Series. The city of Langford says they've taken steps to prepare Starlight Stadium for a CFL game, including increasing capacity. They say they'll remain in active discussions with the Lions to bring the CFL to Langford. So Langford feeling uh, a little oh, left out there. Feeling snubbed. Well, you know, they get the next one. How about that? Yeah. Uh, Plenty of room for everyone to host it. Game what do you got? Uh, what's going on tonight? Well, of course, the Canucks are on the road in Calgary tonight against the Flames, and it's the debut of uh, big Nikita Zadorov for the Canucks. Of course, he used to play for the Flames, so uh, fitting that he'll be playing his old team in the first game. He is uh, six foot six and 250 pounds, and he's being paired with Tyler Myers, who's six foot eight and 240 pounds so that's a lot of beef on the blue line so we'll talk a bit about that and uh, down at BC Place BC High School football championships are going on so we'll have some highlights of that coming up as well. Looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. Thank you and still to come nations are gathered at this year's UN Climate Summit and a Canadian has come up with a strategy he thinks will cut pollution in a big way and it all involves small countries. Stay with us. Yeah, I love you. 
A pair of powerful earthquakes rattled the southern part of the Philippines, forcing thousands of people to flee their homes. The first tremor measured magnitude 7.6, followed by a 6.4 magnitude aftershock. Thousands in the country's second largest island of Mindanao evacuated their homes, businesses and even hospitals as the tremors sparked tsunami warnings in the region. That threat is said to have passed. Damage from the quakes is still unclear. Construction of the first pipeline to the west coast in 70 years is done. The coastal gas link pipeline has pumped billions into the provincial GDP, but there's more to be done. We get the story from CKPG News. A decade after the planning began, construction of the 670-kilometer coastal gas link pipeline is done ahead of schedule, and it was a massive undertaking. 25,700 FTE jobs created over a span of construction, you know, $3.2 billion uh, contributed to the provincial GDP. Uh, and, a, and a project that you know, spans all across from northeastern BC to the west coast uh, and will have a massive uh, global impact certainly on our, our closest allies in the Asia Pacific, on Korea and Japan. And Charles Scott says the benefits of the pipeline open up more doors for local economies. One of the ways that we get the best possible deal for the resources we have is by getting the best, the largest number of customers. So as long as we're trapped within North America, which has some of the lowest natural gas costs in the world, our industry is always going to struggle. Struggle in terms of how much we can produce, struggle in terms of what kind of profitability we can get, struggle in in terms of what kinds of jobs we can have. And the more customers we have access to, the more that those constraints go away. For the remainder of this year, TC Energy will be in the process of introducing gas into that pipeline as part of what's called the commissioning process. But there's still more work well into next year. We'll be expanding on our reclamation program. So that's basically um, a program in place to return the right of way to its um, pre-construction state. So there'll be a lot of planting of vegetation, uh, erosion and sediment control measures certainly out there as well to make sure that the right-of-way is preserved. Uh, so a lot of that's going to happen over you know, the spring and summer of 2024. Uh, and then we have a, a five-year um, monitoring program of, for our reclamation activities. And he notes teams will be monitoring the pipeline 24-7, 365 days a year for the life of that line. Cheryl Jan, CKPG News. Representatives from around the world, including Canada, are gathering in the United Arab Emirates for the UN's annual two-week conference on climate change. Very little progress has been made over 30 years of these conferences to significantly cut planet warming pollution. But amid the usual foot dragging, a Canadian human rights lawyer has tapped into a strategy that just might convince the world to act. Here's Global's Kamyar Razavi. The UN's annual climate summit is underway in the United Arab Emirates. This year's summit is controversially being hosted by the CEO of the country's state oil company. But amid that controversy and the usual wrangling over who should pay for climate change, there is a new strategy. The small island states, which are the canary in the coal mine of climate change, they are at the forefront of the devastating effects. That's Payam Akhavan, a Canadian international human rights lawyer who made a name for himself prosecuting war crimes in Rwanda and Bosnia. Now he's turning his attention to the biggest challenge ever to face humanity, the climate emergency. In what amounts to a clever, backdoor effort at using international law, he's working with three tiny countries to push the big nations of the world to cut their emissions. 
These are countries that you would need a pretty strong magnifying glass to find on the map. Places like Tuvalu, population 11,000, Vanuatu, population 320,000, and Antigua and Barbuda in the Caribbean, population 93,000. Tiny island nations, but with just as powerful a voice under the UN system as the US or Canada. To do that, he dug up an old court case from nearly a century ago, involving a smelter in the town of Trail, B.C. In a historic ruling, a joint commission found that the smelter was not only contributing to pollution in Trail, but that it had to pay neighboring Washington state for the pollution drifting across the international border. It's called the principle of transboundary harm. International law already says that the polluter pays. If you pollute, you must pay compensation to the victim. So where do the small island nations come in? There, Akhavan turned to another UN statute, this one aimed at protecting maritime boundaries, to argue that polluting nations are hardly protecting the coastlines of countries whose very existence is at risk. This was the foreign minister of Tuvalu standing knee-deep in ocean water two years ago to make that very point. We must take bold alternative action today to secure tomorrow. The idea being that under the UN system, it doesn't matter if you're a tiny nation like Tuvalu or a huge one like the US, every country's vote has the same weight. A vote to protect not just the planet, but to save humankind from its own self-destruction. Kamya Razavi, Global News. After the break, Barry's here with sports. The Canucks are in action tonight. Also, a massive send-off on the island for Christine Sinclair as the soccer superstar's farewell tour continues. Discover the Sea to Sky gondola this holiday season. Enjoy the decorated trails, photos with Santa, and a winter wonderland at the summit. Join the most ambitious health campaign in BC history. Help the BC Cancer Foundation in raising $500 million to bring world-leading cancer care close to home for every British Columbian. Give today at gobeyondbeliefbc.ca. For Our BC, I'm Yvonne Schell. In partnership with BC Cancer Foundation, with you, life beyond cancer is within reach. Give at bccancerfoundation.com. Okay, Barry's back now, and uh, the Canucks are in action. I'm sure fans will be paying a little extra attention mm. tonight. Yeah, well, I think they're excited to see the, the physicality that uh, their new D-man's going to bring, and maybe he'll... Uh, lay out some of his old teammates. We'll see. Thanks, Travis. Uh, the newest Canuck, Nikita Zadorov, makes his debut tonight against his old team, the Flames, in Calgary. The big Russian, who stands six foot six and weighs about 250, was paired with six foot eight Tyler Myers in the morning skate. So that is literally a couple of giants who will be playing side by side. Zadorov did play with Myers back in 2013 when the two were in Buffalo, but facing his former team so soon after the trade is going to be a little strange. But after maybe he lays out Nazem Kadri with a big body check, he'll settle in. 7-10 puck drop. Lots of highlights tonight at 11. NHL today, Connor Bedard and the Blackhawks in Winnipeg. Chicago debut for Anthony Beauvillier, traded by the Canucks to the Hawks earlier this week. There he is, number 91, playing with Bedard. First period, Philip Kurashev shot off a skate. Right to Bedard, who snaps in his 11th of the year. Beauvillier celebrates, did not get a point on the play. Bedard named Rookie of the Month for November. He just continues to amaze. one nothing Chicago, but the Jets tie it on the power play. Gabe Velarde on the rush will drop to Mark Scheifele. He's got a good shot. Nice release there is eight for the year. And it's 1-1 uh, one, one after one. Oh, we've spoiled the surprise. Jets take the lead in the second. Move it quickly to Morgan Barron, who fires 5-4 on Arvid Soderblom. And that was the game winner as the Jets 
beat Connor Bedard and the Blackhawks 3-1. to one. Also tonight, Bruins and Leafs from Toronto. Boston has lost three of four. Second period, they were up 1-0. David Posternock sets up Kevin Shattenkirk's first of the season. Pretty nifty move by the veteran D-man Shattenkirk to lift it over Joseph Wall. The Leafs get it back. Big scramble in front of the Bruins goal. And finally, Austin Matthews knocks it in. 12 of his 15 goals have been scored on home ice. Leafs down 2-1, then early second 2-on-1 break. It's uh, Max Domi with the slick move. Do you believe that's his first goal of the season in his 22nd game? Finally, Matthews scored late to send this one to OT. That's where they are right now, tied at three. Some AHL action last night. Abbotsford Canucks at home to Laval. Christian Wolanin and Jet Wu back in the lineup after being out with some injuries. Jack Studnika making his Abbotsford home debut. Sets up Sheldon Dries for his ninth of the year. And a goal of the night served up by the Russian Vasily Pudkols and Arshdeep Baines with the drop pass. Pudkols and does the rest. Nice drive to the net. Abbotsford wins for the seventh time in eight games. 4-2 the final. Same two teams tonight in Abbey. Just over 6,100 in Victoria last night to give Christine Sinclair a rousing send-off in her final game for Canada, played on Vancouver Island. She, of course, will play one last match for our country Tuesday at BC Place. Still some tickets available, but already 41,000 sold. It was a very rainy Friday in Victoria, but certainly did not dampen the spirit of the occasion. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest international goal scorer of all time, Christine Sinclair. Christine exchanging jerseys with her nieces, Caitlin and Kenzie. Sinclair didn't start against the uh, Matildas, came on in the 64th minute, got to enjoy a lot of goals by her teammates. Tenth minute, Michelle Prince on the press, steals it, slides it in. Prince scoring in the 43rd minute as well. The Aussies, uh, who were fourth at the recent World Cup, really kind of had their B team, so Canada was all over them. Simi Awaju scores her first goal as a in a Canadian kit, 4-0 at that point. And then in the 62nd, it's time for Christine Sinclair to come on. Big ovation. She, of course, is the all-time leader in goal scored in the world, men or women. Canada won at 5-0. It looks like Sinclair will start Tuesday at BC Place. Over 41,000 tickets sold for that one already, as mentioned. National Lacrosse League season opened last night at Rogers. New Vancouver Warrior coach and GM Kurt Miloski making his debut, taking on Panther City out of Dallas. First goal of the season scored by Marcus Klarich. Kyle Killen, really nice feed there. Strong first quarter by the Warriors, who are emphasizing defense this year uh, under their new coach Miloski. They took a 3-1 lead, Ryan Martell in alone. But Panther City kind of shut down the Warrior offense going forward. 5-4 visitors at the half, and then Callum Crawford took over the rest of the way. One of his five on the night to lead Panther City to the 11-7 win as uh, Kurt Miloski can't get the victory in his Warrior debut. Hero Golf Challenge from the Bahamas. Tournament host Tiger Woods playing for the first time since the Masters seven-month layoff. Has shown some rust, certainly the first two rounds, but he's also hit some great shots like this one. His tee shot on the par three, that's from 190. And he will stick this one inside four feet. Would make the birdie one under 71 today. Even par for the tournament. Tiger tied 16th in the field of 20. He is a long way back of the leader, Scotty Scheffler, the world number one. Had two eagles on the day, including this one. Seven under 65 for Scheffler. Leads the way at 16 under. Three better than Englishman Matt Fitzpatrick. Premier League, top of the table. Arsenal at home to Wolverhampton. Gunners 
Locked and loaded in this one. They scored two in the opening 13 minutes in the sixth. Bukayo Saka starting and finishing a beautiful display of passing. That is quality from uh, the very onset there. 1-0 Arsenal and then uh, more quality on the next goal. Martin Odegaard from the top of the box as Arsenal win it by the final of 2-1. Their 10 wins, three draws, just one loss in their first 14 and their four up on second place Man City. Championship Saturday at BC Place for BC High School Football. This is the AA Varsity Final between Vernon in blue and John Barsby out of Nanaimo in white. Barsby Bulldogs were down 10-6, but then this bit of magic. Quarterback Cohen Cadu going deep. Incredible catch by Kai Rednauer Bruckman. Gets the foot down in bounds, and moments later they finish it off. Cadu to Rednauer Bruckman for the 18-yard touchdown. 14-10 Bulldogs. But talk about a response. Cole Budgen at quarterback for Vernon with a mighty heave. And this is a perfect deep ball for Anderson Bicknell. 68-yard pass and run. Vernon led 16-14 at the half. They're up 23 22 very late in that one and we'll show you the end result tonight at 11 and later tonight uh, Travis it's the triple-a varsity final between Van College and Carson Graham so good stuff great football at a BC play yeah. talent level for BC high school football just keeps climbing must be so fun for them to play in BC place yes. as well and they don't have to worry like they had the rain in Victoria you know it's nice yeah. although today was a day they could have had the roof up but uh, they don't mind the indoor conditions it's beautiful today it but was. yeah let's keep that closed mm -hmm. in the rain thanks Barry all right after the break things are getting a bit jumpy near Toronto where a certain exotic animal has escaped from its handlers we'll explain Revelstoke Mountain Resort is taking an unusual approach to prepare for ski season. In a letter addressed to Mother Nature, Norm the Powdered Gnome writes that the resort's slopes are empty, waiting for the return of snow. The gnome says he's ready to take his post as the appointed guardian of joy at the resort once the snow begins to fall. The search continued Saturday for an escaped kangaroo, first spotted east of Toronto yesterday. The marsupial was en route to Quebec when it broke free during a pit stop. Matthew Bingley has the latest on the great roo search. Cameron Prida never thought he'd be spending his Friday chasing a kangaroo through a frozen field. It wasn't too fun. Uh, I was doing my best, but, uh, you know, I'm just a guy with a net. The female red kangaroo has been on the loose since Thursday when it escaped from its handlers during a stop at the Oshawa Zoo while en route to Quebec. Dozens have spotted the out-of-place animal since then. He just kind of walked up to it and the kangaroo ran off right after, so yeah. He, he didn't really have a chance. No, definitely not. The ca I, kangaroos are much faster than humans. Haiga Taher watched and recorded as Pride Out tried to wrangle the roo. One of the last to see it on Friday, she's hoping more resources are added to the search. I was more just concerned for the kangaroo because it was like, it obviously doesn't know the area. So we kind of just like felt bad for it because also there's coyotes and stuff in that area. The search has primarily been focused around the location it was last spotted northeast of Oshawa. But those looking for it admit they don't know if it's still there. And after a thermal imaging drone came up without a sighting, the area it may now be in has likely expanded. Prida says red kangaroos are mostly active at dusk and dawn and it's unlikely it's gone too far. These kangaroos can handle uh, temperatures up to about minus 10. At that point in time, it gets to be very risky. So we're hoping that this warm spell kind of lasts long enough so that we can get a hold of this creature and get it uh, back safe and sound. 
He's also hoping enough people have heard about the missing creature to adjust their speed while driving, and that local wildlife like coyotes won't be another factor they have to worry about. Kangaroos are incredibly soft. They are so wonderful. And I feel terrible that this thing is out there somewhere, and I really just want to try and get it back. For now, everyone is waiting on a sighting and for someone to call it in, so this bizarre escape can end on a happy tone. Matthew Bingley, Global News. Hmm. Yeah. How do you catch a kangaroo? Well, I think, was, am I mistaken, this is before your time, was there not a Bugs Bunny episode where the kangaroo escaped and ran into Sylvester the cat? I, I know. <laughs> I think maybe if they use that kind of thinking, maybe they can track it down. I mean, Bugs Bunny's never wrong. I looked it up. They do do well in the cold. That's what I was worried about. How is it going to do out in the, in the elements there near Toronto? But apparently they do well. Hopefully nobody approaches Stay this Stay off thing. the freeway. You might have some boxing highlights with the kangaroo That's at right. 11 they if like that happens. Box, yeah. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back here at 11. Good night. Good night.